You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. If you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. A lot is going on here in the life of Foothills Church. I hope you guys are locked and loaded and excited about this season. Uh, Next Sunday night, December 4th, is Vision Night. I hope and pray that you guys will come and be a part of that night as I share vision, as we talk about some things uh, that we believe God is is leading our church to do in the future as it relates to our building and how that is going. And so uh, lots of cool things that night. I hope you'll be here next Sunday. You will need to go to our brand new website and uh, register uh, for that event so that we can prepare for you. Uh, Another cool thing that's happening here uh, today is Pastor James. It's his fifth anniversary. Can you believe that? Five years. Can we give him a round of applause today for serving this church and this city for five years? And so we get to celebrate that with him. I'm proud of him, excited about what God is doing. Um, You know, As we turn to Nehemiah today, I want to start by uh, asking you a couple of questions. I think for me, at least, one of the biggest struggles that that I have is is I'm often uh, very busy and and I'm often like, like staying busy. I don't know if that's true for you, but I think I'm a product of our culture um, where, where I feel like I have to stay busy and I want to stay busy and I'm always thinking about something and always doing something. And, and uh, I don't know if you would say that's true for you, but, but I think for a lot of people, we would say that we're a little rushed, we're a little overexerted, we're a little you know, tired from all the activity that we involve ourselves in. And I just wonder if today you might be a little honest with yourself and say, yeah, you know, the reality is, I'm a little too busy. I'm a little, little overextended. I'm a little, little tired. And, and uh, I think in our fast-paced culture, you know, we've kind of grown up and we are living in this culture that, you know, just says we want it now. We need it right this second. And in a culture where we have smartphones and all these devices and things that promise to help us become more productive and, and uh, things that, you know, give us the opportunity to have apps that, that allow us to do some incredible things. I mean, our phones now are not just for making phone calls, are they? I mean, we're literally FaceTiming around the world with people. We can do, you know, videos and pictures and, the, and, and all the apps that give us so many uh, wonderful things. And yet, with all of the technology, with all of these things that are supposed to save time and supposed to help us live and, and, and enjoy life more, why is it that today we feel and, and experience so many people who still just feel empty? If we have more technology and, and more information than our ancestors, if we have more luxuries than our ancestors, why are the therapy offices still crowded? Why is it that we still at this point are not satisfied? And in our culture, I would say people are even you know, more hungry for relationship and more hungry for you know, enjoyment or pleasure in, in life even with all these great things around us. I think that part of the issue is, is we allow all of these distractions to get 
into our life. And, and as a result of these distractions, as a result of these things that, that crowd the, the, the space of our life, we forget to do the most important things in life, the things that God is calling us to do. And, and we get sidetracked with all of these peripheral you know, opportunities. Um, when my kids were really little, one of the games that we liked to play and what they loved the most was hide and seek. And so hide and seek, classic, you know, old game. And, and uh, it's, I'm 6'4", so it's kind of hard to hide 6'4". And so when I did find a good spot and they couldn't find me, um, it was always fun. And, and, and they, didn't, they didn't like to search for me for very long, right? So if it took longer than a minute, they would say, hey, uh, dad, make some noise. And they would yell in the house, make some noise. You know, they wanted, they wanted me to give, give away my position, right? And so, so after a while, making them search for a little bit, I'd give them a little, who do you? You know, and then they'd be like, ah. And they're like, I heard he was in here. He was in there, you know. And then I'd give another one. And, and that was just so much fun, you know. And they would find me and we, uh, it, it, it was great. I think, you know, for a lot of us in the Christian faith, I find a lot of people feel like God is hiding from them. Like God is this spiritual, you know, being that just wants to play hide and seek with us. And he's, he's like playing like the shell game with us and, and uh, always trying to confuse us and, and always trying to hide from us. And, 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 and the reality is God is not hiding from us. He is not hiding his will from you. He is not hiding what he wants you to do in this life. He is making a lot of noise. But I feel like one of the problems for us is that we don't hear that noise. We don't hear him speak because we are so distracted. We are so busy. We are so distracted with the many things that this world offers and keeps our mind busy with that we miss what he is trying to tell us. He's going to speak to us today through his word. He wants to speak through your small group to you. He wants to speak to you when you are quiet and still and prepared. Jesus tells us a lot of parables in, 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 throughout the, the, the New Testament. And one of the uh, famous parables that he tells is called the parable of the sower. And remember uh, in Luke chapter 8, he talks about having uh, the, this farmer goes out and sows seed. And, and he says he sows so, some seed and some falls along the path and some seed falls along the rock, some falls along the thorns, and some actually falls on the good soil. And in Luke chapter 8, he really uh, explains what he means um, in that parable. And so I'm going to turn there and, and, and read just this couple of verses that I think are, are key as we get going. You don't have to turn there. Just listen to this. He explains it. If I can get there, Luke 8 verse 11. He says, now the parable is this. Now this is awesome when Jesus actually explains it so clearly. He says, this is what it means essentially. Verse 11, the seed is the word of God. So in other words, in the story, uh, Jesus is, is using the seed to represent the word of God. And he said, the ones, the seeds that are, are thrown along the path represent those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And so the, the gospel is preached, the word of God is given, and for those who would receive it and represent the path, they would, would not receive the word of God because the enemy has taken that away and, and, and they do not believe. Verse 13, they reject the gospel. Verse 13, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, 
And in, t- in a time of testing, they fall away. So he says, okay, so there's some that when the gospel is sown into their life, they're like the, the seeds that fall along the rocks and, and they hear the word, they receive it, they get really, really excited about it. Woohoo, Jesus, woohoo, I'm not going to hell. And then when a season of testing comes into their life, they quickly you know, go back and serve the world and quickly reject the Lord, you know, just showing that they never truly had the gospel, they never truly had Jesus in the first place. And then in verse 14, it says, and, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked. What are they choked by? They're choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. I wanted to start here today before we actually get into Nehemiah, because I think this parable represents exactly what Nehemiah is is about to face and what many of us are in fact facing today, and that is the cares of this world are choking the spiritual life out of us. The pleasures of this world are choking what God wants to do in your life. It's choking you from the vision that God wants you to embrace for you personally and the vision that God has given our church and and invited you to join him in too to experience. But the cares, the pleasures, and yes, the riches or the idea of riches or the pursuit of riches choke out our spiritual life and choke out the vision that God has for you. And the result is their fruit does not mature. And that simply means that what God wants to do in your life has not come to fruition. You have not grown to maturity. You have not reached your potential. You have not grasped all that God wants you to experience. In this series, we're entitling it For the City because we as a church are for this city. We want this city to to benefit from us being here. We want them to feel our presence in a positive way. We're not here just to come and gather and high five each other on Sunday. We are here because we truly want to make a difference in this city. We truly want the gospel to so change our heart that we put hands and feet to that passion and show others the love of Jesus Christ. We really believe we can change and impact the city in a positive way. We're, we're for the city. So we dive into this series. We, we, we're, we're working our way through this book, this, this life of this man named Nehemiah. He had a vision, a God-given vision to rebuild his city, the city of Jerusalem. And to do that, he had to first build the city walls. And so God gave him a burden, a passion for his city, for the people of the city. And so we talked about how a God-given vision starts with this burden. And, and, And it starts with the problem. And God gives us a heart and a burden over that problem. And so this vision is what could be and what should be. Nehemiah saw that his people were not worshiping God. The people living in Jerusalem were far from God. They were, they were, they, they were in disarray, unorganized, and, and, and totally um, across the board, uh, seeking their own selves and not following God. And so he says, this cannot be, this must not be. And so he starts the work of building the wall. The people rally around his vision. And as they rally around this vision, they begin to build the walls. We saw that their lives were threatened 
And Nehemiah continues to challenge them to stay and to fight, and they did. And today we're going to see that Nehemiah is going to face a distraction in this passage the same that you and I might be experiencing today. He's gonna have to make a key decision that's gonna affect his entire vision, the entire vision that God has given to him. And so I want us to look at chapter six, beginning in verse one and see what this distraction is. Verse one, he says, it says, now when Sanballat and Tobiah, these are the guys that are threatening Nehemiah and the people and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies, heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it. So the walls have been built, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. So the doors hadn't, hadn't been set up yet, but the wall has been built. Verse two, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. Now, if anybody ever wants to meet you in a city called Ono, <laughs> We ain't going, right? There's two places I'm not gonna meet you at night. Oh no and heck no, I'm not going there. <clears throat> but they intended to do me harm. And so Nehemiah saw it right through it. They intended to do him harm. So he says this in verse three, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. Well, let's just set the stage here. If you're taking notes, I wanna mention three distractions that Nehemiah faces that you and I face on a regular basis that we have to be prepared for. The first distraction is this. You've gotta be willing to pass up good opportunities for the main opportunity. You and I have to pass up good opportunities all the time so that we can focus on the main opportunity that God has given to us. Nehemiah has an opportunity to make peace with an enemy. These, the, this guy, Sambalat and Tobiah, remember if you, if you missed last week, you can go online, online and, and, and watch the, the sermon, but essentially they were, they were arguing and fighting and they were, they were threatening Nehemiah. And now it appears like, oh, they wanna get together and talk. They wanna get together and, and kind of mend some broken fences. Okay, that sounds like a good opportunity. That usually uh, good opportunity can often lead to the death of a vision if you're not careful, if you're not wise. Um, in my world as a pastor, the opportunities that I see every week are, are many, many times great opportunities. They're, they're great things. They're great opportunities to be a part of. Think about it. I could go visit another person in the hospital. I could take another counseling meeting, I could take another speaking engagement, I could take, you know, I could go to a community event, a church event, just like you, I could be even busier than I already am. I could be out seven nights a week if I really wanted to. The problem is I'd be making less progress with the main things that God has called me to do as a leader, as a husband, as a father. I could be even busier than I already am but making less progress. You see, in order to accomplish the important things, you and I have to learn to say no to some good things. Does that make sense? Nehemiah is doing a great work. He is finishing the wall. A good opportunity comes his way, but he says, no, 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 I'm, I'm doing a good work and I cannot come 
down. Good opportunities have the potential to kill the vision that God has given to you. It has the potential to kill the vision that God has given this church. Think about it. Some of you are distracted by good opportunities that work to make more money. And those good opportunities to make more money inevitably distract you and keep you busy so that you are not committed, you're not involved in ministry in this church. Some of you are distracted by good financial opportunities. And so, so you invest and you, you, you give to these temporary ends instead of investing into eternity. We see it time and time again, every day of your life, every day of my life, opportunities come along that have the potential to distract us from the main things God has called us to. I mean, there are entertainment opportunities. There are athletic opportunities for you personally. Go play another round of golf. Go on a trip with your buddies. There's athletic opportunities for your kids. I mean, every season, there it's a new season for something. And so now we have a generation of moms and dads that, that constantly have their kids in sports year-round. Good opportunities. But are we missing the main opportunity of investing into God's church and being the leaders that he's calling us to be to accomplish the most important things in life, the things that we know God has called us to do? You've got to learn how to say no to some good opportunities can we think, think, let's think about this statement again. This is a great statement. I'm doing a good work and I cannot come down. Can you put that up on the screen again for us? I'm doing a good work and I cannot come down. Matter of fact, let's practice saying that today. Can we practice saying that? Everybody ready? I am doing a good work and I cannot come down. It feels good to say that, doesn't it? Feels real good if that's the pathway that you begin to live and, and, and breathe through. This year, you guys know that I'm a basketball guy. I love it. It's, 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 it's been a part of my life ever since I was a kid. And, and this year, uh, my, my kid's school asked me if I'd coach one of the school teams. And I, I immediately said yes. Without even thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Why? Because I wanted to. I, I, I love it. It's, it's part of what, you know, I don't, I don't I think it's part of my DNA. And, and I went home and, and I was so excited. And I told my wife and I said, honey, Michael, you're never going to believe they asked me to coach this year. Can you believe it? And she said, well, what, what, what did you say, Trent? And I said, oh, well, I, I told him yes. And she goes, mm-hmm. And she didn't have to say anything. And, uh, and she just kind of made that face. And, and then a few minutes later, um, she, she said, well, I mean, you know, because you got the whole church thing going on, you know. You got the whole building thing going on. <clears throat> She kind of reminded me of our schedule and kind of what the deal was. And, and so we agreed. Uh, mainly she kind of helped me agree to the fact that that was a dumb decision, right? And so I had to go back and say, hey, I got excited, willing to help, kind of on the side. But I can't do it. Why? Because we're doing a good work and we cannot come down. Great opportunity. But I've got to say no continually. Every day there are opportunities. The same is true for you. They look like great opportunities because they are. But we have to weigh that against the main things that God is calling us to do. I'm doing a good work and I cannot come down. I think men in the room struggle with the tension all the time of doing their job well and being the kind of father, the kind of husband that God is calling you to be. 
And I've seen it time and time again. Men who were leading in the church, making a difference, doing great things for God's kingdom, get an opportunity in their job to maybe move away, get a promotion, get a raise. It changes things. And slowly and slowly, we see less and less and less of them involved in ministry. Every time you tuck your kids in at night, if you've got little ones, Every time you're so busy that you really don't feel like making it a, you know, a prayer time, you don't really feel like doing the whole routine, you just kind of want to put them down and you want to just go back to what you got to do, just whisper to yourself as you tuck them in, I'm doing a good work. I can't come down. Every game of hide and seek, you're counting. The kids are hiding under the kitchen table again, like you can't see them. And you want to you, you, you hear the phone ring and you know it's work calling you about something. Instead of running to the phone to see what's going on or, or you, you, know, you hear the notification on your phone to get this or to do that, just say, you know what, I'm doing a good work. I cannot come down. Every time you have dinner with your family and you guys sit around the table and you're able to, to kind of to have that time with one another, you know, and the TV's turned on, the game's on, or whatever is kind of pulling you away. Maybe it's the device. Just whisper to yourself, I'm doing a good work, and I can't come down. Stay-at-home moms, after you've changed the one millionth diaper, and you haven't had an adult conversation in three weeks, and you're tempted to throw in the towel and go back to work and just watch, you know, count this as a wash, just whisper to yourself, I'm doing a good work. And I cannot come down. Single parents, every time your teenager says, everybody else is doing it, just whisper to yourself, my kid is an idiot. No, don't say that. Say, I am doing a good work and I cannot come down. Every time you're tempted to text your wife, tell her you're going to be a little late for dinner, you got to stay late at work. Look at her picture on your desk and say, you know what? Before I send that text, I'm doing a good work and I cannot come down. Every time your kids are asked to be on a travel sports team doesn't mean that you've got to say yes, right, moms and dads? It's one of the epidemics of our generation is travel sports and how much time and money it takes and, and, and pulls us away sometimes from the things that God wants us to do. Every time you get that opportunity, before you give an answer, just whisper to yourself, I'm doing a good work, and I cannot come down. See, there are distractions that we face every single day, and they mask themselves with good opportunities. But if those good opportunities are taking you away from being the man that God has called you to be, the husband, the leader, the woman that God is asking you to be, being involved in the church that God has called you to, to, to be planted in, perhaps it is the wrong opportunity for you. The second distraction I think that we see is found in verses five and seven. Let's just pick up the story in verse five. It says, and in the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. Now, let's just pause for a second. The open letter portion is important. 
Because at this time, when you wrote an official letter to some other government, or, or, or at this point, this is to Nehemiah, who is the leader of uh, this, this new city now, uh, you, would, you would write it on leather, maybe papyrus, you would roll it up in the scroll, and then you would seal it with wax. And so that, that, that seal would not be broken. But he sends a letter that is open. Why? Because he essentially wants to post it on the first century Facebook of his day, so that every person that holds the letter would read it. Now, why would he want them to read it? Well, let's pick it up. It was an open letter in his hand, verse six. In it was written, he wanted people to read this. It is reported among the nations and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That's why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. Verse seven, And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now come, let us take counsel together. Let's just pause there. So he's he's throwing out these rumors. He's throwing out all of this gossip, and he wants this gossip to circulate. So the second distraction we have to be aware of is this. Don't get caught up in the chatter. Don't get caught up in the gossip. Don't get caught up in the chatter that is around you. At this point, he's saying the king is going to hear about this. In fact, the things that he is accusing Nehemiah of is is all lies. But he wants to spread the criticism and the gossip around the community and the surrounding cities to get Nehemiah afraid and potentially to get him in trouble. Because if the king finds out that Nehemiah is trying to become the king of Jerusalem, the whole thing could be destroyed. He could come and kill everybody, knock down the walls, bring Nehemiah back as a slave. He knows this could change everything if this is true. But I believe for us, we have to realize that there is always going to be chatter. If you are trying to follow a vision that God has given to you, there's always gonna be chatter. There's always going to be gossip and criticism around you. Let's continue verse eight. Then I sent to him saying, no such things, as you have, have been, uh, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. Essentially, you're crazy, you're making this up. Verse nine, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Here's what I love. His response to the gossip is, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to distract us. Essentially, you want to frighten us so that we'll stop doing the work that God wants us to do. The same is true for you. You're going to step out and, you know what? I can't work on the weekends, boss, because I go to church. Why do you got to be weird like that, man? Why do you have to, why do, you have to do that? Why can't you just be normal? And, and why do you have to cause problems? See, the gossip and the criticism come when you step out and you make a stand for what God wants you to do. We're all going to the party. Why aren't you coming to the party? well, you know, I'm doing a good work. I can't come down, but that sounds weird. So I'm not going to say that out loud, but I'm going to make up another excuse. Why can't you just come? And why you got to be weird? Why do you have to be different? Now, over and over again, God's going to ask you to do something. And there's going to be fear that steps in. Am I able to do this? Am I qualified? Am am, am I good enough to do this? Is it going to work out? And then the gossip is going to inflame those already insecure feelings that you're thinking. And just like Nehemiah, 
You've got to be willing to ignore the chatter. And I love his one sentence prayer in verse nine. Look at it. God, strengthen my hands. Some of you are, are you know, struggling with your prayer life. Your prayer life is just kind of up and down. I don't know. I can't pray for an hour like you do, Trent, every single day. Like, I don't do that, by the way, but I uh, wish I do. Maybe sometimes I do, but some, some people think that, you know, to, to be a prayer warrior, you've got to pray, you know, 10 hours a day and whatever. Nehemiah shows us over and over again throughout this story that some, there, there's some pretty powerful one-sentence prayers. Oh, God, strengthen my hands. You know, every time I walk from backstage out to this platform, that's my prayer. God, strengthen me. Speak through me. These one-sentence prayers as you're driving, as you're walking into a meeting, as you're getting ready to have a conversation with a, you know, with a kid or a child, one of, your, one of your kids or maybe your spouse, God, strengthen me. This one-sentence prayer is powerful. <clears throat> Nothing brings out gossip more than vision. It's interesting how Sambalat's attack is that he's accusing Nehemiah of trying to take control and trying to take uh, power and control over the city. The truth is, Sambalat, the, the governor of Samaria, the surrounding areas, who was in charge of Jerusalem, he himself was the power-hungry dude. He was the one that thought that he was going to lose control and lose power, and yet he's the one accusing Nehemiah of doing the same thing that he himself is doing. Isn't that so true when it comes to critics and gossips? Psychologists call it projecting. Projecting is when the accuser is, 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 is filled with selfish ambition and assumes that everybody else is doing things out of their own selfish ambition as well. And so the criticism that they will give, the gossip that they will give, is essentially what they themselves are guilty of. Nehemiah would have none of it, and neither can we. He took the issue straight to God, continued to pursue the vision, continue to work, continue to do what God is calling him to do. Now, let's continue. Verse 10. He says, Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, not to be confused with Delilah from 97.5 Love Songs at Night. Let's not confuse that. Son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God. So he's trying to meet with Nehemiah. We know, Nehemiah knows, he's trying to kill him. But he says this time, let us meet in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Here's that one sentence prayer. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat. Oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the, the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Here's what's happening. Shemaiah lies to Nehemiah and he tells him that Sambalat has hired an assassin to come and to kill him. So and let's just say a ninja is coming to kill you, Nehemiah. And the only way 
to avoid getting murdered is to run into the house of God and cling to the temple altar. However, only priests were allowed to do that. Anyone else that were to do that would lose credibility. That's against God's word. He'd be compromising his integrity. There's one exception to the rule though. The one exception was in Numbers 35. A person uh, who was not a priest could go into the temple if for some reason they, they hurt somebody accidentally, but that person's brother finds out that you hurt them, and so now they're coming after you, and you don't want to get hurt, so you can run into the temple and, and, and clean, uh, you know, essentially what we, you might be familiar with, you know, run the sanctuary, right? And so then you would be safe till a judge could come and judge the situation. But here's the reality. Shemaiah is trying to trick him. First of all, there is no assassin. There is no ninja trying to come and kill him. And so if he were to go in there, since he's not a priest, and he were to go into the temple, then he would be violating the law of God. Running in there for refuge from a fake ninja would show that he is a coward. So he cannot do this. If word gets out that the governor of Jerusalem is a scaredy cat hiding in the temple, that wouldn't exactly give the people you know, the, the, the confidence they needed to continue to work on the wall. So if Nehemiah was gonna do this for money, for power, we might've seen him fall for this, but here's what he does in verse 11. He does two things that you and I have to do. He thought through it and he said, God didn't send him. God wouldn't tell me to run like a coward and God wouldn't tell me to do something that is contrary to his word. Two things we always wanna remember as we're pursuing God's vision. He's never gonna call you to run like a coward and he's never gonna tell you to do something that is contrary to his word. I can't tell you how many times I've sat with individuals who told me that God was telling them to do something that was obviously contrary to his word. For instance, a man whose wife did not commit adultery on him who would say, I'm, 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 I feel like God wants me to leave my wife. Really, why do you think God wants me to? Well, I'm unhappy, this isn't working out. I don't feel like, whoa, whoa, whoa. God would never call you to do something contrary to his word. He, would, he, 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 he hates divorce. This is not something that he would call you to do. So I, I think over and over we're reminded as we pursue God's vision, there's gonna be fear, there's gonna be gossip, there's gonna be distractions. But here's what Nehemiah does if you're taking notes. And uh, number three, wisdom gives you courage to overcome your fears. So he is, he's, he's wise enough to know what God's word is so that he could say, you know what? God's not gonna tell me to do something contrary to his word. He knows the passage in Numbers 35, right? And so being aware of God's laws helped him to have wisdom to overcome some of the fears that he had so that he would then be able to overcome them. And so for you and I, we, we get wisdom from the word of God. And as you understand God's word, as you are, are, are pouring yourself in and connected to Jesus himself, then you are more equipped to have courage to overcome those fears because fears will come. Fears will always take place. Every vision has an element of fear. Being a leader has much fear that comes along with it. So we think about, can we pull it off? Am I gonna get fired? Are people gonna laugh at me? If you allow fear to set in, it gets your attention off the work and onto the fear itself. And so we cannot give in. We cannot run like cowards. We cannot do things that God obviously says is wrong in his word. And so that helps give us wisdom 
and courage to overcome those fears. Now, I'll just tell you, there's fear in leading this church. No doubt about it. There's fear in taking on this project that we're doing next door, buying property and building a a large facility. It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of resources to do that. I realize that that some of you are, 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 are fearful of giving financially, maybe for the first time. If if you've never if you've never been in a church that's done something like this and most people haven't, it can be very fearful. Maybe you're in debt, you've made some bad decisions and you're thinking, man, I didn't show up for all this sacrifice stuff. I liked all the kids stuff. I'm here for that. I didn't know you were gonna ask me to, to actually get involved. The problem is, if everyone doesn't do what God is leading them to do, then we can and would fail. But this isn't a Trent Stewart thing. I want you to know that this is a God thing. I want you to know that God might take me to be home, but this church continues to pursue the vision that God has called it to to accomplish. 50 years from now, 100 years from now, like we have the opportunity long after we're buried to put our footprint and, and, and leave that here in this place for generations to come. It's our opportunity to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. It's our opportunity to do something that matters. It's, it's our chance to get involved in something unique that God is doing. This is our time to do something big for the kingdom of God. I, I can't be a coward and say no. I, I can't run to the temple because I'm afraid. I have to ask God now how he wants me to join him in this journey and lead and pursue and sacrifice and persevere. Some people are asking me about this Christmas offering. It's new to some. It's, it's a, something we do every year. But uh, some people have asked, uh, is this Christmas offering, is this, is this like our percentage gift or what is this, you know, deal about? And, 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 you know, we teach and we believe from Scripture that there ought to be a percentage gift that we give regularly to God's church. And so when we come to the Christmas offering, this is not like your percentage gift and that you just continue to give. The Christmas offering is something that we are asking you to give over and above. And so all of this that we get at the Christmas offering goes toward the vision of creating room and space for people to experience Jesus this year. And so we're asking everybody to prayerfully consider what that is going to be over and above what you usually give. For some of you, if you're not giving, this is gonna be your first time giving or your first way of giving, and, and that's great. And, and some of you are gonna continue that kind of gift throughout the year, and that's gonna be amazing. But the point is, whatever God leads us to give, that's where we wanna be faithful. And I believe this is not just a good idea, this is a God idea. This is something that each of us need to be a part of. I believe it's something that God is doing and For whatever reasons, he chose me, he chose you to be here and to do this together. And what I love about it is that I I think about my kids often, I think about the next generation often, I have a huge heart for the next generation. And I know for me, my kids love coming to church. I can't say that about myself when I was little. But I love that we have a church that my kids love coming to. And not just my little kids, but my, my teenagers, love coming on Wednesday nights and being a part of the ministries of this church. And I know that as we create space, as we continue to build this place, that there are hundreds, if not thousands of other young people and teenagers, the next generation who are far from God today, 
who are not being raised in a godly home. And because of the work that we're doing, they're going to experience Jesus on a Wednesday night, a Sunday morning. One of their friends at school are gonna impact them in such a way that they're gonna hear the gospel and God is gonna change their life. But not only that, I truly believe, and this isn't like prophecy, I'm just saying I believe this is happening and will continue to happen. God is gonna call some of these young people to go into full-time ministry. And as a result of that, we're gonna be a church that is not only seeing people come to know Christ, but we're sending young people out to do ministry all over the world. And so I'm for that. (laughs) I'm excited about that. God has already called many adults in this church to forgo their career and seek full-time ministry. I've got three, four on my staff right now who said, you know what? My career path is, 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 is not what I've been chasing. God is asking me to do something different, right? And so from within our own church, we've hired men and women who said, this is what God's doing in my heart and in my life. And some of you may be wrestling with that. Some, some young people in college or in high school are wrestling with that. What is God asking me to do? And I'm just telling you, God is doing something unique here. This is not normal. And I thank him. We ate a big turkey dinner this week, man. And I'm, I'm praising God for my church every single day for the people that are here and the work that God is doing. So let me just remind you, God's not hiding from you. He's not playing a game of hide and seek. It's very clear in his word what he wants you to do. The reality is some of you are too busy to do it. Some of us are too distracted to hear it. What distractions are in your way today? What distractions are in your way that are preventing you from serving God's church, that are preventing you from giving to God's church, that are preventing you to stepping into the vision God has given to you specifically for your life? We're gonna close today by taking communion, the Lord's Supper. And Jesus tells us to remember him by eating a piece of bread and and drinking wine. We're Baptists, so we do grape juice. And he tells us that the bread represents his broken body and the juice represents his blood. And before we take it, he says, you need to examine yourself. And so that's what I wanna encourage you to do. Today, that's how we land. Today, this is how we ourselves are, are, are gonna take what we've just heard and begin to examine ourselves. What are the distractions, Lord? What are the things that are in the way that are keeping me from becoming the man that you've called me to be, the woman you've called me to be? And when those things come to your mind, you repent, you turn from them, you confess those things to him. You thank him for his sacrifice on the cross for your sins. It's through the blood of Jesus that our sins are forgiven. We can have the hope of heaven. He gives us purpose. He gives us vision for our life. If you've never made that decision, I encourage you to stop by what we call the care and prayer room. We've got volunteers in there that would love to talk with you and encourage you in that decision. This is for believers. This isn't for little children that have never made a decision to follow Christ. This is for believers who have already made that commitment. And so the way we do it here, we're going to pass it out. You take it on your own. They're going to pass out bread and juice pretty simultaneously. 
you take it on your own. The band is going to sing a song over us. Feel free to join them when you're ready. Uh, But let's make this a very worshipful time together. Let's pray. Father, as we spend time this morning examining ourselves, as we spend time looking at the potential distractions in our life, we pray that you would, in fact, make them known to us. May we confess them today. May we make that right with you today. And Lord, we want to thank you and praise you and worship you for the cross, for the sacrifice that you made for us by dying on the cross for our sins. And that through you, we have forgiveness. We have a relationship restored with our heavenly father and we have the hope of heaven. And so Lord, meet with us now as we worship. Help us to be prepared for this Christmas season. Starting today, God, may our attention and focus be changed. May you speak to us about how we might give and be a part of the vision that you have for our church. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.